She's making a deposit for you, honey. I think that's a poop joke. That is a poop joke. Welcome to the Barely Saved Podcast, where we have the discussions real Christians don't have. Here's your hosts. I'm a <laughs> Everyone's seriously talking at the same time, because that's awesome. Sucks to be Caleb. You get to separate those out. I'm Matt. That's why we record everything in different channels. Or I might leave it, you know. Now that Matt pointed it out in the recording. Alright, so we're on day eight of Christmas. When we're recording this, also known as New Year's Day. So, how was your guys' Christmas celebrations? Pretty low-key. Video conferenced. <laughs> Video conferenced? Sounds like a very 2020 thing to do. Yeah, we uh, brought our, our second child into the world. So that was made our Christmas very uh, chill and sleepless. Probably much like, ah, damn it. I didn't, sorry. <laughs> I'm making my breakfast. And I, didn't, I didn't defrost my energy balls before I put the yogurt in. Something about our frosty balls. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, so Christmas had just renewed significance, I would say reflecting on the birth of Christ and uh, we ended up and I say we loosely because Nate was there of course but you know I, I had to do it so um, but the um, anesthesiologist did not get to my room in time like he was stuck in surgery like there's only two anesthesiologists in our um, in our county in your hamlet and uh one of them was in the OR and the other one was like the on call, you know. And he got done with his surgery at eleven thirty and was supposed to come to my room and administer my epidural. And he got called to the emergency room because, you know, somebody needed their heart fixed or something. And so got pulled into another surgery. And I did not get the epidural that was planned. And she was not waiting. Uh, so, you know, it went from zero to 60 in about um, 10 minutes. And all of a sudden was like, yeah, we're, uh, we're having this baby now. And there is no medication that is going to be a part of it. So that was an adventure and gave me a renewed appreciation for, for Christmas this year. Um, and uh, I think it increased my frustration with some of how we talk about Christmas and Mary and the birth of Christ that we're fine. We, we don't talk about the, the nitty gritty parts of, of childbirth in regards to Christmas. So yeah, but we stayed home with our newborn who is currently angry at her father for changing her diaper. So that was my Christmas. Mine was unmedicated childbirth. Very fitting. Yeah, that's, Sounds like a not fun experience um, that I will never have the ability to live through. I'm okay with the fact that I don't have to live through that. Yep, me too. Uh, my brother will be having a baby. His wife is due in a couple weeks. I was going to say, your brother is having a baby because... Well, yes, because like it's still his baby. I've seen that movie. 
So, you know, I told them that they should have it tomorrow, 1 2 21. So it's a palindrome. Um, we'll see if they do that. What Matt is looking at me like, I don't think it's quite a palindrome. 1 2 21. If you're just doing like the one digit, the one digit, and then two digits. Okay. Yeah, no, I would never write a date like that. So I got real confused. Oh, because you're like military time or whatever? Well, either that or because of work, we do year, month, date. Because when you're doing files, it's actually the most effective way to, to do those. Well, then it would be 2112. Right. Which would definitely not be a palindrome. Yes, 2112. That's a palindrome. Oh my gosh. Oh, you wrote the full year. Sorry. Oh, well, then no, it's not. Uh, and you write zeros. How do you, you can't your your dating method doesn't work for files if all you write is the two digits and then what no you have to write two zero two one oh one oh two which is definitely not a palindrome which is why I was confused. Okay, I see. Although you don't have to write it like that, you could do a file system other ways, but it makes sense. That breaks my brain. So I, I you know that's what I'm hoping for. They're gonna do some things to try to rearrange the baby today. Because, you know, of course, their child is stubborn and laying the wrong direction, where it would be feet first. So, you know, they're going to try to rotate the child today. And if they can't, it'll be born today via C-section. If they can, hopefully it'll come out tomorrow. So, that's what I told them, like, a couple months ago, is, like, the second should be your goal. You know. We'll see. It's it's a good date. It's not, uh, it's not... April 25th, but it's up there. Right. Well, like the my niece that was born the most recently was born on 11-30-19, which, you know, 11 plus 19 is 30. The one before that was born when I told them to, July 8th, which is my half birthday. So I'm hopeful here, you know, like the last two of my nieces were born on the days I said that it should be. So we'll see if I can go three for three. That'd be a pretty good record. That would be a pretty good record. I actually don't know my niece's birthday. If it wasn't for my sister posting things, I don't think I would remember. Like, my goal is for it to be easy to remember, right? Like, I know my birthday. I'm not going to forget that. I have to have it for legal documents. So if I can remember that it's my half birthday, I just add six months. That's fair. And then the other one is a fun math thing, right? 11, 30, 19. Like, it's just easy to remember. So. So what you're saying is you're trying to hack children's birthdays for your own well-being. Matt. I have hacked all of my siblings' birthdays for my own well-being. Like, all of them have some sort of a mathematical formula for me to remember them, because otherwise, I would forget every single one. At least you have a, a method. It might be madness, but at least there is a method. Yes. All right. Anybody have anything else you want to say since we transitioned from talking about what we got for Christmas to uh, birthdays? Insert, insert here the happy birthday Jesus song. Happy birthday, Jesus. <laughs> All right, I, I can do that. Uh, we can do that as our transition to our digital. As long as it's not me singing it badly. <laughs> oh, we can we can overlay that. We can we we can have that too. <laughs> no one wants to hear me singing my little kid voice. Um, Matt, speaking speaking of just as wrong as Caleb, while we're on the topic, because we didn't do this in the earlier section, and so I probably should put it back there. But in the last time we recorded a podcast two weeks ago, we talked about E. coli. Yes. And I was I was most definitely wrong. Yeah. So it is still in your gut, but there's different kinds of E. coli that produce different toxins. There are different strains. That's correct. I was misled. 
in my knowledge base. By the way, I fully enjoyed listening to that whole discussion on the church calendar. And that was super, I hadn't had the baby yet, so I could have been on, but my stepmom was in town and I didn't want to take up time uh, that I was spending with her. So I ditched you guys. Um, but I, that was, that was super uh, enlightening and helpful um, as someone who didn't grow up in the church in like a liter- in any sort of like liturgical tradition or Pentecostal tradition to like, to learn more about that. So that was great, by the way. You don't have to put that in the podcast, but. Beer brand has created a broken resolution preparedness kit. Oh dear. I just I just think that it's a great thing. Like people's resolutions break all the time. So if I was a beer brand based out of Minnesota, why not offer a chance to win one of 50 broken resolution preparedness kits? For when we inevitably break our New Year's promises to ourselves. Like, it's not a crazy big gift, but it seems fun. They're calling it the Hammergency Kits. It includes a six-pack of beer, which we're, we're all good AG ministers. We don't need the beer. But it also includes five pounds of restaurant-quality bacon, all contained inside a Hams-branded cooler. Now, wait a minute. It says restaurant-quality bacon. What kind of restaurant quality bacon are we talking about here? Because. (laughs) No, hold on. There's like McDonald's restaurant quality bacon, which I think sometimes is the same as some other breakfast places with their like really thin, fatty. Okay. I'm going to imagine that is going to be 1416 bacon because that's what's the most common for restaurants. It's not going to be that twenty-two, twenty-four. What the crap does fourteen, sixteen bacon mean? I don't know. He's making up numbers. No, I'm not. It's not going to be that twenty-two, twenty-four bacon that is McDonald's. And with that, explain the numerical implications of bacon, Caleb. Yeah, it's like this means nothing to me. Okay, so fourteen, sixteen is that there's between fourteen and sixteen slices per pound of bacon. So a, th- a thicker slice. So it's like shrimp. Yes. 20 to 24 bacon is going to be 22 to 24 slices per pound. But then McDonald's breaks their slices in half. So like, it's like almost no bacon on their things. It's like, it's two pieces of bacon. It's like, no, it's not. That's less than half a piece of bacon. What are you doing to me, McDonald's? So I am, of course, as soon as I found out about this, thank you, Caleb, I'm entering the contest because, <laughs> come on. Uh, it says, though, the Ham's beer is awarded in the form of a $15 prepaid gift card. So you have to go buy the beer like separately? They're not just going to ship you the beer? Yeah, no, it's got to be once your resolution's broken. So, you know, you get it in like January. But if you don't mess up your New Year's resolution until October. And you spend it in January? <laughs> if you don't mess it up till October, like you're going to have to wait to spend it till then. Although you will be notified instantly of your prize. So when are we picking winners? You can enter through January 13th, and then you'll be notified instantly of your prize if you win. Oh, 
I didn't win today. As soon as you enter, you know if you've won. Really? Can you like keep on entering? Come back daily through January 13th to play again. So this is like McDonald's Monopoly? I guess, but you best guarantee that I'm going to be coming back. Okay, I'm going to enter just to for funsies today. Hammergency.com. If you're listening to this podcast before January 13th, you can keep on entering every day. Although don't, because I, I need to win, in which case you need to not enter. And then if you win, uh, donate your winnings to Matt. I just know that I hate New Year's resolutions, and there if I don't already want to do it, there is no external motivator strong enough to make me do it. So resolutions are terrible. Either I'm already doing it, or it's almost hopeless. <laughs> yeah, I mean, New Year's resolutions are weird, but we'll talk about those in the next section, I think. Hams, which is owned by Molson Coors, has previously encouraged similar bad behavior. In August, after a hidden stash of hams from the 1980s was discovered at a library in Washington State, the brand offered 30 cases of beer to anyone who could prove they were the library-goer or the library employee who was drinking when they should have been studying. I did not win today, for the record. We're going to have to... Look, there's four of us. If we all enter every day... (laughs) Odds are one of us will win. That's 52 entries. Right. Okay, so it looks like that thing that they did with the offering 30 cases to anyone who could prove they were behind the library discovery, like, that was earlier this year. Yeah, in August. Well, no, last year, Caleb. Remember, we are done with that thing. Ooh, you're right. 2020 is officially over. It'll have been over for a couple days when this comes out, but it's, it's over. This is actually a great transition to talking about the next thing because I don't understand how things magically change on a day and we all treat it like it does. <laughs> Based on what Lindsay just said about things changing on a specific day. However, isn't our entire faith like contingent upon something changing on a day when like Jesus is born and then Jesus dies and then Jesus comes back? Like, so... Well, it might be an argument against resolutions, uh, or into the entire like premise of our, um, of our belief system is based on things that happen. It's based on events. Just uh, on a day, on events on a day. It's based on events that happened that took place, which have a date, but it's not an arbitrary date assigned ahead of time. At the time, it was. At the time that it initially happened, it was an arbitrary. I, I, well, it's just like saying, it's like, well, things are going to really change starting tomorrow. You're like, well, starting tomorrow is different than things will change after the crucifix, like after Jesus is like, you know, like. Right. But at the time they didn't know that. Enthroned kind of thing. Well, right. But at the time they didn't say it's going to be different tomorrow. Right. That's true. But I'm just saying. And I think actually part of that problem too, is we've accidentally taken this arbitrary day stuff into our theology, which is why we are not about any kind of like ongoing sanctification. We have a magic turn or burn moment, and then it's all good. It, everything magically changed on that day, and now I don't have to actually grow to become more like Christ. Yeah, no, that's not a thing. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Except for that's all of our theology, is it, as it's lived out in American Christianity. Okay, so <clears throat> on a more on, on a less obnoxious note about resolutions. Um, no, it's fine. I was just totally, I was just being a pill on that whole thing. So this year for Christmas Eve service, so our lead pastor has COVID. 
and he has been quarantined and isolated. And um, of course, I'm on maternity leave. So like bad timing. You had a baby? Unmedicated, Matt. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so one of our one of the Kyle staff did our Christmas Eve service. So he's our regional, he's like the regional head honcho um, of the organization for the Northwest. And he was my mentor and like, he's one of my favorite humans. Anyway, so uh, he was then basically in charge of Christmas Eve service this year, um, which actually was super, I really enjoyed listening to him speak because with the, the way the college ministry goes, like you don't ever get to celebrate Advent or like Christmas service with your community because everybody goes home for Christmas break. So you never get to have that, um, that experience together. So on all the things that I have like heard him speak on, and I've heard him speak many, 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 many times, I'd never gotten to hear him and speak about Christmas. But one of the things, one of the big things that he pointed out was like, Basically, say you're saying New Year's wasn't isn't the time for making goals or realigning ourselves. It's it's this time of Christmas of recognizing who Jesus is and that our allegiance needs to be to Jesus, and that's where our um, our goals and that that's where all that should come from is from our allegiance to Christ. And I loved that we had the opportunity to hear from him, and like it changed how I kind of think about resolutions and stuff as well. And I really enjoyed it. So now we can talk about why resolutions are terrible, but I just love that focus of like the Christmas season being more of that, like how we align ourselves closer to Jesus instead of New Year's. I mean, I'm not convinced that New Year's resolutions are an all bad thing. Well, I don't think they're all a bad thing either. I just, I think that they're a good arbitrary goal to accomplish a thing. I think they can often be unhealthy. I just don't think that they're, it's not a good time to set a goal though. Like a goal because people set goals like you're supposed to set them well. No one that I have ever talked to sets a New Year's resolution as a well-defined goal, right? It's always nebulous. It's always... Um, yeah, they're not measurable or achievable. They're not smart goals, right? They're It encourages poor goal making, and I, that's why I think they're useless. And then I think it, and then people beat themselves up on them. And I think one of the things I've been... I was reading... Uh, what's her name? Richter, something about Eden. Sandra Richter. Sandra Richter. Yes, I was listening. I was, I was like, I was sitting, I've been listening to it on an audiobook, and so I'm like, I actually don't remember the name of the title because I don't pick it up and look at it. The Epic of Eden. Epic of Eden, right? And she's talking about how like work isn't part of the curse, but fruitless work is, like fruitless toil, right? And so a lot of times I feel like we. So wait, are you telling me that the Republicans are right and that work is good? I have a hard time saying yes, because how they're describing work, I would say <laughs> no. <laughs> However, yes, purpose and doing fits like there was a, yeah, that's a whole different side topic. I'm not going to go down, <laughs> but. Almost at her. Almost at her. <laughs> you resisted it, Lindsay. I did. I focused. <laughs> Matt was baiting you. <laughs> I know. I'm so easy. There's a New Year's resolution goal. Just go ahead and mark that one off, Lindsay. Don't get baited by Matt. That was measurable. <laughs> okay, but Sandra Victor was talking about fruitless work being the result of the fall. And it's like, and I think that's what we see is, is this recognition that we want work that matters. Oh, for sure. But instead of finding work that matters, because we don't have work for matters, we instead want to define things for ourselves. And then we basically kind of like 
I don't know if y'all seen, if y'all watched the new Pixar soul. Yes. It was so good. Right. Like there's this moment where like, I thought it was really, there was this really insightful moment with like the, the lost souls and the zone being really close to each other. Right. How like, if you get so far into like, this is your hyper-focused thing that you become like so focused on it that you lose everything around you. And you, you go from being like, I'm in the zone musically to like, you're one of these lost souls wandering around only focused on one thing. I really enjoyed the hedge fund trader guy. My husband calls it Neoplatonism, the movie. Yeah. We'll have, we'll have to talk about the whole soul movie on another podcast. The reason I was bringing it up is like, we, we, we do that though. And I feel like that's what new year's resolutions do is we want things to feel like they matter. So then we create things that feel like they matter. So we don't have to deal with the like reality of what's going on around us. And so we control these little things that we, there's some level of like healthy coping, right? Where you control the things that you can and realize you can't control other things. But then we create these things that, that we like, we have to perform this way to be a healthy member of our society. Like, well, you've got to keep your goals. You've got to like lose that holiday weight. You've got to do all of this stuff. And then we have set ourselves up for failure because we've missed the point of we've missed the point again. <laughs> right. And so I feel like that's my problem with them is that it's just kind of like keeping up with the Joneses. Like it's just like anti-consumer consumerism. And that's my thing with them is it feels like, like I was laughing. It's like, I totally about goals and keeping things because it helps. Like, so I have a bullet journal thing where I like track when I do things because it helps me remember to do them. Right. But I'm like, if I don't do something that's like, I have guitar on here because I like playing guitar, but I've been way out of practice because I've been stressed. And it, I basically haven't covered in one of my guitar boxes in like three weeks, right? But I could feel bad about that or I can be like, you know what? It's crazy. It's busy. And this is meant to help me. And if it makes it worse, it's no longer doing what it's supposed to do. And I, we're not good at that nuance, I don't feel like. Right. So I'm going to push back on you guys all saying that it's terrible. I think that New Year's resolution... I never said it was terrible. I, I think that New Year's resolutions... I think that that's a good time to set a goal. I mean, Matt, you set a goal last year to read a certain number of books. You may or may not have achieved that goal. No, I failed miserably. You did not fail miserably, Matt. No, as an Enneagram 3, any failure is failure, failing miserably, and therefore, I failed miserably. That's fair. But that's not a terrible thing to do, to set a goal like that. But again, that I, I think, though, Caleb, and I hear I hear your pushback, and I appreciate your pushback. But I don't think that setting a goal is a New Year's resolution, right? You can set goals at the New Year, but New Year's resolutions have, they're always, the the ones that we're like talking about, I think at this moment, are the ones that are like super nebulous and they're not achievable and they're not based on any prior history. Like I set my my read goal to 40 books because like it it wasn't just random. There, There was a reason I set it to 40. And that was, that was part of it. So in 2017, I set my goal of 12 and I read 18, right? And then in 2018, I set my goal. I was like, okay, I'm going to up that. I set it to 15 and I ended up reading 37. (laughs) And then I set in 2019, I set it for 36. I fell one short and read 35. And last year I set it at 40 and fell four short and read 36. And I think that all of those things are there's a measurability to them there's past success that leads to okay i am going to further that goal and there's there's justification most new year's resolutions have zero justification it's just about quote becoming a better me and even if there's a goal to it that doesn't that doesn't make it a good resolution like i'm going to lose 15 pounds this this year that's not a good goal if you gained 30 pounds last year how about your goal is you don't gain any weight this year like that's a goal that you can 
like definitely hit and feel good about yourself in the end. I just feel like we this is become a goal making podcast. Um, <laughs> we we have this like insanity that says I you know if we throw a goal way out there that's good for us, and I don't think that's a beneficial thing to do at all. So what I hear you saying, Matt, is that New Year's resolutions are not terrible if you make them smart. And you have purpose behind them. I don't think that those are the only two categories that help, but I think that those are two required categories if you want your New Year's resolution to be halfway decent. And I think we have to deal with like, why are we doing things? There's a great article a while back that I read and working with college students, I deal with a lot of women with eating disorders, um, right? And so one of the goals is to have, um, they're basically make sure your goals have longevity in addition to being smart goals. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, you don't need to have the goal that I want to look like this, or I want to have a visible six pack. They're like, you know, or I want to be able to, it's like having an actual purpose in mind. So I want to be able to hike a 14 er or go on this backpacking trail, wearing this backpack, or I want to be flexible and healthy enough that I can sit on the floor with my grandkids. Right. Like those kinds of things, like they have actual purposes and they're not just, I want to lose weight to look better. Cause I want to lose weight to look better, but it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Well, and it's not even, and there's the difference between like, I want to lose weight to be healthy and I want to lose weight to create. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to look necessarily a certain way. Like we all have fashion choices. We all choose things that we like, right? But when we make our goals focused on such transient things, that in itself is going to defeat our purposes. I was joking before, but like, I'm starting to get some like rogue, like gray streak in the front of my hair. Like I can braid it now and there's like this silver bit in my braid, right? And I can freak out about it. I can be like, no, I'm going, which I occasionally have, right? <laughs> But you should just go all the way and like dye the rest of that area of your hair and just embrace the rogue. I've totally considered it. Yeah. Cause you can kind of, yeah, there's a little bit of it glinting. Um, if it's not bad, you can't see it really right now. It's only when I braid it, but like, I could either freak out about that or there's like this realize of what, what, you know, like it's the, the organization that shall not be named. Why do you do the things you do and who do you do them for? Which also works for goal setting. And it's like, why are you actually doing this? Are you doing this because you want to be perceived in a certain way? or because you actually have healthy reasons for wanting to do this. And I think so many of the goals that we see right now are because we want to be perceived in a certain way by the people around us, which I think is a recognition of what we've talked about a lot of like people are made in the image of God. So their opinion matters, right? Cause they matter. Right. But there's also, you take that too far and like their opinion is the only opinion that matters. And that gets into this weird, unhealthy spiral. And I feel like that's what we see with new year's resolutions. Um, and so I'm constantly, so when I was working out with my girls here, like I wanted to work out and they were always like, well, I want to look like this. So I want to be like this or, you know, and so one of the things I constantly had to do is be like, well, why are you doing this? So one of the, one of the girls is a firefighter now. So she's like a hoss. Right? She can like squat because she had to pass the same physical test as the guys did. Right. Or, and so I like, and I'm, <laughs> so she can like carry a lot of weight. Right. So she's super strong and it's so easy to be like, well, I want it. Well, like, well, yeah, you know, it's like, I feel like that's why I'm lazy. I lost where I was going, but like, you know, just the idea of we have to really be like, why are we making these goals? And I think that's what I see is so unhealthy is this is like, I'm going to reinvent the new me. And it's like, it changes what's faddish, like what's trendy at the time versus like what is healthy. And so like, I need, I need to do more cardio because I have been a lazy bum during the pandemic. Right. Um, and I would like to be healthy and cardio is good for your long-term health. And if I don't do cardio now, like I'm not going to be healthy long enough into like my old age. Mm-hmm. Right. And that starts now. So I can't be like, Oh, I want to like, you know, or I want to get stronger. I want to get stronger. Not because I want to like look ripped. Or like, I rather got climber friends, right? So they're all like super strong. Um, but I can't be like, I want to look like that. I'm like, I want to be strong enough that I can, you know, climb this route without like fear of falling and I'm actually strong enough to do it. And um, not because I want to show off. It's like, I want to be able to do this and enjoy it. 
I mean, you know, like that's cardio for me. Like the only reason I can do cardio is because I want to backpack. And I'm like, it makes the cardio worth it, <laughs> but it's not. And I don't like, and I know that sounds like a really nitpicky kind of. That's not true. That's not true. Absolutely. Nothing makes cardio worth it. Yeah. That's the problem is that's how I feel about it. No one, no one ever gets done with cardio is like, wow, I'm really good that I just ran that far. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Matt. Although I don't feel good that I've picked up heavy things either. So that's why I like, like, like climbing and hiking and stuff. I usually feel good once I put them down. <laughs> but I, I think that Lindsay, I think you're making a good point here is that motivation matters when you're doing goal setting. Um, like if your motivation is unhealthy, the whole process of you doing the thing is probably going to be unhealthy. And I think a lot of times we see things that are like unhealthy as like uh, a motivation or like are arbitrary and don't make any sense. Like, what does it mean to eat healthier food? Like, is that one less French fry when I go to McDonald's? Like, I don't think so. Or is it not going to McDonald's? Like, <laughs> both of those are healthier. <laughs> But it might not be, right? Like if you if you skip McDonald's, but then you cook at home and it's you're eating just as much fat and salt, like you're not necessarily being healthier. Yeah. You don't eat McDonald's, but you just make pastaroni, like you're still not eating healthy. Well, it's like or realizing like the conditions that you have in your life, right? We eat fast food because we have certain amounts of time and we can when we didn't work from home, we could eat it while we're commuting. And now that I work from home, I don't want to go into the kitchen and cook. Right. So it's like rather than like beating yourself up for the conditions of your life, like, what can I do to address it? It's like, but wait, what can we do to actively address the real problems? It's like I think we um bandage the real issues and that's what I was trying to get to. You know, it's like rather than really looking at it. Mm-hmm. No, I I totally agree. So I'm gonna say that New Year's resolutions are not bad. I think that they can be helpful because again, an arbitrary you're choosing an arbitrary date, right? If you don't like a New Year's resolution, then do a January 31st to January 31st resolution. You can choose whatever arbitrary date that you want to set, I'm going to do this goal in this time. Um, But I think that the kinds of goals that are good are the kinds that are measurable and achievable. And you can say either I did this thing or I didn't do this thing. If your goal, like I'm looking at a list online, if if your goal is to improve your concentration, that doesn't mean anything. How? Like, that's that's not achievable. That's not measurable. So whatever your goals are. Well, you could use it as a goal as long as you put objectives below it. <laughs> like, I want to, my big overarching dream is to improve my concentration. So therefore, I will do my objective is to be able to read for an hour without getting distracted. Right. Like that's, that is a, you can make that a goal and then make it measurable. Okay. So can I shift? Sure. Go ahead. I think, and this is, I listen to a podcast and this is what they do. And I would, I would suggest that this is a better idea behind resolutions. Um, And that's the idea of a theme. So you come up with a theme for the year. So let's say a a common theme is uh, I want to lose weight or I want to get healthy. So instead of saying that's my that's my goal cuz that's too nebulous. I think we all agree. You say my theme for this year is wellness, right? And what you then end up doing is you make decisions based on that lens. So Caleb you mentioned earlier, like eating healthier is not a good goal because like that it's it doesn't mean anything. But if you have the lens of wellness, right? Then you say, okay, so instead of that, we're going to have a salad tonight because that is more attuned that way, right? Or you can even say, uh, you know, most people who talk about diet say that a cheat day is something that 
is um, beneficial for some people. And so you can then tie in a cheat day to wellness. Like, hey, I've been good for the past seven days. I am going to have something I want today. And that that still fits in the, the theme of wellness. And so you're you're moving the theme forward and you can change the theme whenever you want. Uh, but, you know, a new year uh, is is time, a good time to do that. You know, you can do it at the beginning of the ac- academic school year for people who are in that world. Um, but that's something you can do. So like my theme this year is really dumb, but uh, I, I made it because I didn't want to say other things. Um, so my theme for this year is wisdom. So I am only doing I'm I'm learning and trying to say no to things I should say no to and trying to exercise that wisdom in everyday decisions. And I have a few bullet points underneath there of like, this is what wisdom is in these scenarios. Um, and so that's, and then I have for the last two years made an accidental slash on purpose, uh, phrase of the year. Last year was no King, but Caesar, um, which was a disaster. What do you mean? It was fantastic. And then this year's came out of a Facebook conversation and it's uh, Pax Romana does not equal Pax Christi. I actually love the saying. Um, I was actually, because especially when you read about Roman history and they talk about how Rome made a wasteland and called it peace, right? Was it Tacitus that says it? Um, he talks about how the Romans came through and they made a wasteland and called it peace, right? And then as we've been talking about, but with, we've been talking about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God and just like the garden and Eden and all of that. And it's like, what we see is then Christianity to so the way of Christ takes the wasteland, it takes the tohu and bohu, right? And turns it into a garden. And so I think it's this perfect kind of parallel of like, we think that making a wasteland and then we can call it peace, um, but we're really called to take a wasteland and turn it into a garden. Um, And it shows just how dramatically different the way of Jesus and the way of Rome are. So I think it's a really great phrase. So Matt, your whole idea of themes for New Year's um type things versus uh like resolutions one of the big fads i think especially among christian women is like words for the year that end up being turning into like a theme and so i've found that to be as valuable or more valuable than like a goal when it says like this feels like this is like a theme that god's we're going to be working on a specific place in my life but if we don't have like a specific measured way to incorporate that then it might not be as beneficial. But is that is that more of like a, I don't know, in a, like a, it seems to be bigger in like women's ministry type circles than I've seen in other <laughs> ministry circles. I have to say, I have, I have not heard of the idea of words for the year until this year. Really? So I've been looking like, yeah, I've not personally heard of that as an idea. So this year I kept hear, seeing people posting like, what's your word for the year going to be? And I will say it was mostly women who were posting this. So maybe it's just a subculture that I'm not part of. In many different ways. So I I think that one of the main differences between what I'm saying and what I have heard, and Rebecca, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, um, is that... I will. Thank you. Um, A lot of times those are introspective, right? Mm -hmm. And is what is God saying to me? And how does this affect me? And I don't believe that the theme... Or even that word, if, if we're going that direction, should be introspective. I think that that is antithetical to how Christianity should work. And so let's say, for instance, that the word that God gives you is grace. Well, that grace should have very little to do with you 
and more to do with how that affects others, right? So if if that's the lens through which you're viewing your interactions with the world, I'm more okay with that. Like, okay, I want to be a person of grace this year. I want to, in my interactions, not be hasty, but be slow um, and, and extend the grace extended to me to others. That, to me, is a great use of that word. If the word is grace and all you're doing is reading the Bible looking for grace and thinking about God's grace to you and all those things, but it doesn't change how you're acting externally, then that's bull and you need to repent because that's not how Christianity works. This isn't a Christianity is not an interchange for interchange purposes. Christianity is an interchange. So your external actions are different or it should be. I appreciate that nuance to it because um, like last year, uh, the very beginning of January, what, what I felt like a, a, a theme or the word for, for life in general for 2020 for me was, was kind of came from Hebrews of like being anchored and being anchored in Christ. And of course, 2020, you know, threw that for a loop. But so much of that then ended up being focused on, yes, how do I stay anchored in a healthy way so that you're outwardly focused to to show that to, or to model that outwardly for others became a big, a big theme of that through the pandemic and through other things. Um, so I appreciate that nuance of the introspective versus um, outward. So I think most of the time it ends up for a lot of people being an introspective thing versus it being a, how is this changing how I interact with people to be more like Jesus or to bring them closer to Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with being introspective. Like that's something we need to do. And so uh, if, if you're listening, don't hear me say, don't be introspective because that's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like in those moments of being introspective, we, we as Christians do not, we're not Hindus who are as a Buddhist that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get to enlightenment. That's Buddhism. I'm not trying to get to enlightenment. I'm not trying to get my... Escape suffering. Get Yeah. Right. That's not that's not what I'm doing as a Christian. In fact, if I'm trying to escape suffering as a Christian, I'm doing Christianity wrong. It is everything that we do internally is for an external motivation of being God's witnesses on this earth and being the, the truly human ones and being, uh, being all of those things. Like, I think that that's really vital to that that whole conversation, even if no matter what, if your if your resolutions are only internal, I don't know if that's a a purely Christian thing to do. Like if you're losing weight just so that you can look good, like maybe you should rethink like what you're doing that for, right? Maybe you should say, I'm going to lose weight because I want to be with the ones I love longer and do more work for God's kingdom here on earth. Like, I think that that's a better way to put it. Or uh, I want to lose weight because I think that the the practices of, uh, you know, commercial farming and uh, commercial commercialization of food production is abhorrent. And in lessening my intake of food, I will be, you know, lessening the impact on chickens and Tyson chicken farms. Right. Like, I think that's a, an ethical thing that you can say and do. And it's external, but it provides internal things. I, but looking outside of yourself to me and the way that I read the Bible is more of that appropriate action. Yeah. So that's that's sort of where I was trying to get to earlier, but I didn't get there because something happened. And I was interrupted. Probably rightly so, because I left a big pause. But our, our motivation when we do resolutions. You talk too slow, Caleb. I do talk too slow. It's okay. But with, with resolutions, one of the things that we have to do, and whether we do resolutions, whether we do a theme, 
is it should have a larger purpose. The, the goal of the Christian life is not just to feel good. I mean, we can feel good at times, but we're called to carry a cross. We're called to do things for others at the cost of ourselves. And not everything has to be at the cost of ourselves, right? Like there is, we should take care of ourselves. We should be healthy. We should do these things. But if we're just doing those things because they're good for us, then we need to take a serious look at why we're doing the thing. Like if we're doing the thing because it makes us feel good, that's probably not a good motivation for the Christian. We should be doing the thing because it's good for others, because it's good for God's creation, because it's good stewardship of the responsibility that we have as image bearers of God on the earth. And that's easy to miss. So in in my defense of New Year's resolutions, like your resolution should not be a thing that makes you feel good. It can make you feel good, and that's fine. But a New Year's resolution to say, I'm going to do this thing because it's going to make me feel good is a really shitty New Year's resolution as a Christian. A New Year's resolution should be, this is what I'm going to do because it's going to enable or empower me to represent God well so that I can be his witness. Also, to go back to that for just a second, I don't remember who said it, but I I heard this uh, in, I think it was a sermon that I listened to this last week where someone was talking about the image of Jesus entering into Jerusalem, right? Um, and being hailed King of the Jews while Jerusalem is filled with foreign occupiers, right? And he is coming in offering that peace while the, the Roman government is saying, look, this is the peace that we bring. And the only way that he can bring that peace is to enforce it through the sword. And and Paul says the same thing. Like the reason they have the sword is to enforce peace. And you're like, and again, I, I think Paul's being real cheeky with that whole statement. And he's saying, this isn't peace. Yeah. It's, this isn't it. Like, this is not what I've talked about so far. And hopefully you recognize that I'm, I'm speaking tongue in cheek here. And I, I think that that is part of the, the rationale is that too, too often in America, especially We've looked to the peace that America brings here and abroad as the peace of God, and it's just it's simply not. And I'm, I'm hoping that that phrase, as we go through the year, does not apply as much as, the, <laughs> as, much as last year's phrase does. But when it does, we, we're sober enough to say, wow, this, this is not uh, what peace should and can look like. Yeah, and I, and I would say that, you know, as a shameless self-promotion. If you want that logo on stuff, you can get it at barelysavedpodcast.com. There's a merch section where you can get those things printed on there. So if you want to see the logo that we're talking about, there will be a link that, that has it to it so you can see the logo that we are referring to. Well, we could just talk about like a recap of 2020, which is honestly... 2020 is mostly shutdowns and protests with some fires sprinkled in there. You know, fires in Australia, fires in California, fires in Colorado, fires in Washington. Fires in Minneapolis. Yep, fires everywhere and lockdowns. That's pretty much 2020. (laughs) You see lockdowns like people actually did the lockdowns, like people actually did what they were supposed to. No, 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 but it's in the news. It's a recap of the news. And some people did. What do we want to talk about? We didn't really decide for sure our news story. Um, 
it's because we have very professional planning here where we've planned things out minutes ahead. We have the best planners. No. We get the best people to do the planning. Did they devote their time to do the planning? Not at all. But they're the best people for it. So. Man, this year, you guys. Which one? 2021? Y'all, it's been a bad enough year that I, I like, okay, so this is how I can tell how grumpy this year has made me. It's because I understand Seinfeld now. Because I used to hate it because I thought everyone was mean and terrible. And clearly people don't suck that much. And I was wrong. I feel like at the beginning of Lord of the Rings and they were all of them deceived. Like, that's how I feel. <laughs> Like my, my belief in the image of God and the hum- image bearing nature of all humanity has been sorely tested by how dumb people can be. Um, <laughs> it's been a lot of. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we just talk about the whole concept of 2020. Hindsight is 2020. It was interesting. I mean, I learned, I learned a lot about a lot of things. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that for the third section. About our greatest lessons in 2020. Yeah. What What did you learn in 2020? I learned that... People are real dumb. I All of my fears of what would happen with libertarianism as a governmental construct have been confirmed. And I had been hopeful that maybe something like that would work. But I, I have been thoroughly convinced that it's uh, untenable. Well, okay. So can... Can I push back on that? I think that libertarianism in a highly educated population is extremely capable. Like that, that's something that we could have. I put, I'm going to push back on educated. I think, honestly, the only place you get a libertarian society that works is if you have a radically transformed population that have hearts so in love with Jesus that they always make the unselfish choice. I agree, Lindsay. I don't think so, Matt, because people who have education have the strongest confirmation bias. So what they want, they will confirm inside of their own heads. So if they wanted to convince themselves that masks are not a good thing, they will do the best at convincing themselves. So I don't think that I don't think that just being highly educated is enough. Maybe maybe this is just anecdotal from my context, but like my experience has not been that those who have the highest education have the most confirmation bias. Like my experience is more that those who don't have much education are much harder to like convince that they have bias at all. So, and that just might be my more rural context, but. Well, maybe you might be able to not convince them that they have bias, but can you convince them that they should wear a mask? If the person who's the most powerful in the country isn't telling them that they shouldn't wear a mask. Right. Like, can you convince them that their bias is uh, flawed on its premise? No, because they're all into the more conspiracy theory things. And conspiracy theories feed on the uneducated. And I, I don't mean that in a negative way. Like, it, uh, what's my my favorite conspiracy theory is uh, all the ones that surround the Revolutionary War. Right. Uh, that was one of my favorite podcasts of all time was when um oh what's the name of that podcast that i can't think of right now through line yes when through line did that podcast on uh 
conspiracy theories in the revolution. Yeah. Like the idea that the whole entire war was based on conspiracy theories. Yeah. Never heard that. We'll link to it in the show notes. It was the rich uh, property holders who were telling the poor people, the English are coming for your blank. Mm -hmm. You will be enslaved like all of our slaves. And so the war was a highly propagandized movement by the rich landowners. And uh, specifically, maybe you've heard of this guy named Samuel Adams. He was one of the main proponents because he was he was impacted by the the taxes and therefore wanted to work hard to make sure they didn't do their thing. That's a well done conspiracy theory. There's just enough there's just enough grains of things that are connected to it that actually happened that it's believable. That's well done. And when people go back to the the Revolutionary War, they they don't remember how incredibly unpopular it was right like let's go back and look at the stamp act like oh that was a tax cut that made it like possible to actually collect taxes and who didn't like it it wasn't the populace it was the people who were smugglers who now had lost their money because people could get things from legitimate sources and they were friends with all the people with the printing presses like that's you go back and you look at the history it's like oh that's interesting no taxation without representation but they had all just gotten a tax cut. Interesting. Yeah, it, and it, it goes to the idea that, you know, history is uh, told not necessarily by the winners, but those are the loudest voices. Which is usually the winners or the, or the most powerful. I mean, they win the cultural war later, right? Like, they might not be the winners, but they will be the people who win in the end. We see that with the American South. Yep. There's a Cold War and the North lost it. I mean, we, we honestly see it with uh, Germany as well. Like Nazism won in Germany and it was defeated externally. But internally, the culture war was eventually lost because they were like, wow, that was that was really bad. But at, at a time, it was still the dominant like this is the thing. Although I would say Germany did a much better job defeating Nazism than the South did. America did defeating the Confederates. Right. At least we... America didn't try. Yeah. Yeah, America really didn't try to, like, change the perceptions of... Because even... Because you have to remember, the Civil War was not a fight against racism, right? It was a fight against the economic system. Because it was... We wanted to get rid of... We wanted to get rid of slavery and ship them all back to Africa. You can't tell people that Abraham Lincoln was racist because then they lose their mind. He wasn't racist. He just wanted to move all of the black people to... And start a... American colony in Africa. Well, we did it. It's called Liberia and the capital's Monrovia. Like, we did do that. <laughs> Wait, you mean we actually successfully shipped out a large portion of people and colonized somewhere else? What? That, that doesn't sound like America. And Abraham Lincoln was a supporter of it? What are you What are you saying? Are you saying that people in the mid 1800s were pretty much all racist? And that's what I, everybody's a little bit racist, guys. Can we just like, can we just embrace that? Well, that's why it's important to talk about bias and your ability to recognize it, right? Um, this is a really weird place to have gone from talking about the concept of what happened in 2020. I just want to say. Well, racism and confirmation <laughs> bias were rampant in um, or being addressed in 2020. Um, I I do think. One of the things... Attempted to be addressed. Attempted, well, yes. There was an attempt. <laughs> More so than before. Yeah, uh, so I think I think that another thing that I learned, um, besides the whole that libertarianism doesn't work, is how little people want to wrestle with what's happened historically. Like, 
America's done some really bad things in our history, recent and a long time ago. And whenever you start to talk about that, people get real uncomfortable, as if you are attacking them personally. Well, that's because that's either psychologically that is what's happening now, because we've created our identity based on this like false narrative. And so to question the narrative is to question our identity. Oh, like it, it's so in, incredibly interesting, Lindsay, the way you say that. And then to think about like, these are the people who, uh, can I say this without stepping on too many toes? Probably not. Step on the toes. And then if we can cut it out, if we need to. The people who are always telling us about the fact that we need to find our identity in Christ are the same ones who are finding their identity in not Christ. Yes. They're the ones who are finding their identity in patriotism and saying, I am an American. And you're like, no, you should be finding your identity in the one who has claimed you and, you know, for his own. And so every time that you're making a statement like that doesn't enforce that identity, it's like uh, with uh, uh, Senator Candidate Warnock's uh, sermon on. You can't serve God in the military. And everyone's like, ah, and it's like, no, like that's biblical. Like you, if you're getting upset about that, it's telling me how much you've read your Bible. Yeah. Like that's just the Bible. Like it's not even just the Bible. It's just Jesus. Like we're not even, we're not not even like taking too many steps. Like this is just what Jesus said. And if you're not okay with it, that's fine. But you're also telling me what you're not okay with. Okay. But Matt, those are the same people who for years have been saying taxation is theft. Like, if you just look at the words of Jesus, it's, no, taxation is not theft. That is the government's right to tax you. That's how government works. Forget about any of the Old Testament when you have all of the stuff like actual, this is my favorite thing, right? Actual redistribution of wealth to prevent cyclical poverty. You know, God establishing taxes that go to the temple. And then every, what, three years, a whole set of the taxes is dedicated to the poor, right? Like, that's a governmental system designed to take care of the poor, but that would take what I want and give it to somebody who needs it. But I want it. It's mine. Well, it comes back, right? Like, and I feel like I've been listening to too many Bible Project podcasts, but it comes back to page one of the Bible, right? Where it comes back to this idea of we wanted to find good and evil for ourselves and we want to be the ones who are controlling everything. And rather than like, it's the language of we see that this is good for eating and then we take it, right? And so we see that this is good and we take it. And rather than realize that God is the provi- like the ultimate source of provision, if we really believe that the cattle on a thousand hills belong to God, then we wouldn't have a scarcity mentality. We wouldn't be about protecting our own things because it's not yours. <laughs> and that means like, of course you could be generous. And yeah, God is a generous host of the party. So why are we taking all of the party favors and hoarding them off in our own little corner when God is a generous host? It's like we have such a flawed understanding of the character of God that like everything is wonky. And I feel like this year has highlighted that to an extreme that like I used to never think that like villains like Umbridge and Harry Potter were real life villains as a kid. And and then you realize that they're actually the scariest villains because they're the ones that really exist, you know, and it's like I have to say reading that this year was like for the first time I read Harry Potter and I was like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't have believed this was a thing if I would have read this as a kid. And it's just like, that's been this year is highlighting how fragile and brittle our faith is because we built it on a house, we built it on sand, right? It's the whole wise man built his house upon the rock. And I feel like it's like, man, this year has been a lot of quoting um, Shakespeare of the lady to protest too much, me thinks, 
right? Like we're like, build your identity in Christ, build your identity in Christ, build your identity in Christ, partly because we know it's not. And it's like, maybe if we say it enough times, we'll convince ourselves that we've done it rather than realizing what that looks like. And I don't know what that always looks like. It's not easy, but I do know that it doesn't have to be fragile. And if something is wrong, it's probably not the Bible. It's probably me. (laughs) And it's probably me misunderstanding it, right? We need to talk about, um, this is completely an aside, but like Corinthians, right? You talk about the commands to women and all of those things. Then you look at what's going on. You're like, oh man, this is crazy. Here's the context of what's happening. This is not me. Like I completely missed what was happening here, right? And it's so much better. And it's always like, the more I read the Bible, the more I understand the context, the better it gets and the more robust and the less fragile, but also the less systematic, right? Um, it gets a lot more complicated. But more I feel nuance, a lot like the kid. Yeah, I feel like the kids in Narnia, right? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. Yeah, so uh, some this is going to take a left turn, but I have to say this out loud because you said systematic. It was funny because... A left turn or a right turn? Um, This is probably going... It's left because it's more dangerous, right? Right turns are safer. Um, I mean, unless you're in the UK, in which case right turns are safer, but we're not there. Or left turns are safer, but we're in America, the greatest country in the world. So someone was talking the other day about, uh, who was it? William Lane Craig's new book on the uh, atonement. And uh, I don't know if Lindsay or Rebecca, if you listen to that uh, unbelievable podcast, but he did a, he was in conversation with Greg Boyd. Uh, and I wanted to slap, I was yelling so much while I was listening to that. I wanted to slap Greg across the face and be like, you're not listening to him. You could totally refute this argument. Just listen for a second. Yeah. That was, I, w- I was thinking to both of them, like you guys are talking past each other. Cause both of you have an incomplete vision like, in what you're advocating for. You're both wrong. Right. You're, you're almost saying the same. There's literally one thing different between you. Can we focus on that for a second? And Greg just could not could not like hear it or see it that's because william lane craig is infuriating <laughs> yeah yeah he's really good at what he does like there are people who have come to christ because of his arguments and and i appreciate what Will, william lane craig does in a in a broader sense i do not think he's a good systematic theologian and someone the someone was uh because he's, he's platonic <laughs> right and in a group that we were in we were talking about something and someone said that's because he's doing a systematic theology not a biblical one and I just wanted to throw something at the person through the internet. And you're like, I just, I, and they were being dead serious. They weren't like, it, it was supposed to be a comment in support of what Craig was doing. And I was just like, you just wanted to slap him. How do you say that out loud? Like if your systematic theology isn't biblically based, it's not theology. Yeah. So there's your, your fun William Lane Craig defense moment of the day yeah that so i'm gonna say that was i'm gonna say that was a right turn because that was a conservative turn <laughs> i knew you were gonna just say that uh it was it was a good convert it was uh if you haven't listened to the podcast and i'm sh- assuming caleb will put it in the show notes at this point it, it was really good it just had a lot of issues with it sorry that was that was random as random gets but as soon as you said systematic uh Lindsay, that was where my brain went was like oh yeah that conversation that but you're right. It, it can't be system. Our, our faith can't be systematic in that it is devoid of, in this case, like specifically devoid of the biblical context, right? We're, we're not autom- automatons, uh, not automatons. Cause that's the wrong way to say that word too. Uh, we're not automatons, man. Now I don't remember how I used to say it. It's automatons, right? Where did I hear automatons? I was listening to a book and someone said that and I was like, what, what just happened? 
Um, it's the same thing. Automatons, automatons, it's the same thing. Now don't start that again. But that's not that's not how we're set up. That's not who we are as humans, or shouldn't be who we are as humans. And when we, um, when we delve into that realm of everything being systematized and not us conforming to the likeness of Christ, we get into very dangerous areas. Systems are easy, and then we can create treat God like a genie, and that's fun. I'm a genie in the pocket. <laughs> Where you want to go with that, Rebecca? Really? Are you going gonna to stick with that one? <laughs> yep. Okay. One of the main things that I think uh, I have is like a reflection on 2020 uh, is I appreciate the sentiment more that the conversation should start with what scripture says instead of it being a battering ram to stop or a, or a, like it shouldn't be a choke chain to stop the conversation. It should be the place where our our dialogue begins as believers and within the church and as pastors. Um, and too often, the evangelical church as a whole has used the quote unquote plain reading of the text as a chokehold um, or kind of the uh, the dog training illustration in my head of the choke chain of stopping it short um, is is kind of the visual I have of like. Or I'm going to stop this conversation because this is what scripture says versus being being confident enough of, in who God is and who Jesus is to say, I can I can have these big conversations or things that challenge my perceptions in a way that messes with my preconceived notions, but I'm going to have the conversation anyway. So I think that hasn't necessarily been uh, a theme for a lot of people <laughs> that I've engaged with as a whole in 2020. And so that's been kind of eye-opening as far as maybe what needs to change in this as far as how we teach scripture, how we, um, as, as leaders in the church, how we engage with scripture with our people or with people that we're in a relationship with. So that's my 2020 reflection. And I should duck out because now my mom and older daughter got home on that happy note. You guys can talk about what I just said or continue whatever. And I'm going to peace out. Bye. Bye, Felicia. Bye. Yeah. So did you learn anything in 2020? Has everybody actually said something or did only I say like four things? I thought you said something and Rachel said something. I didn't say anything. I didn't learn anything in 2020. Did you learn anything in 2020, Matt? No. The world sucks. Was that confirmed more? No. It just is. Like That's fair. Did you at least learn any cool new skills? Did you get better at Zoom calls? No. I was pretty good at them beforehand. I've been doing Zoom for like four years now. That's fair. I'm a Zoom expert. Uh, I got better at with Premiere Pro projects and like organization, but that's just because turns out when you're recording a sermon every week, you you need to get good at that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Matt was uh, all knowing before this. Didn't learn anything over the course of a year. I'll be all knowing next year too. Like it just keeps going. <laughs> turns out it's okay matt most of the things that i listed were not things that i actually learned just things that i was sad because i was forced to face the reality of already knowing them that's a really sad note to end it on um do you have anything brighter more cheery to say i'm just i'm just glad it's over (sighs) yeah i mean looking back it's not even the worst year like worst calendar year in my personal life so like oh that's the thing i said that last night i said in my personal life 2018 was way worse I had more horrible things happen to me in 2018 than 2020. 
Like 2018 was the worst year of my life. But collectively, this one sucked balls. Right. Collectively, for, for people as a whole, this year was the worst. And personally, oh yeah, I've had way worse years. Man, we're, we're way out of time. But that leads a, into a really good discussion about collectivism and individualism and how we all recognize that even though this isn't our personal worst year, it's the worst year of our lives in many ways because of a collective nature. Well, we don't know that yet, Matt. We don't know what's to come in 2021. <laughs> so far. <laughs> so far. <laughs> Y'all, they're saying they're expecting easily 80,000 people to die like in the next month because of how many people currently have COVID. We're like, we're almost to Antietam levels of bad of people dying every day. We're at 0.1% death rate for the country. For the whole country. Yeah, I'm, I'm fully aware of the numbers. And I keep telling people these numbers. And they're like, it's not that bad. It's like, what, what, okay, hold on. What numbers would be worse? Um, One, if it was someone in their family. But I know people who've had like people die in their family. That's like, yeah, but it's not that many people. And it's like, your brother died. Well, they were old. It doesn't matter. You know what? I, this goes back to something I said uh, the other day on Thunderdome as well, that someone posted like, how are we trying this hard to avoid death? And I think like. I'm not trying to avoid death. I'm trying to avoid killing somebody that doesn't know Jesus. Sure, but I believe full, fully in my heart of hearts that humanity has a deep understanding that death is not what's supposed to happen. Like, we as a community try to avoid it. And, and deep in, and like, that should be an apologetic that we use, but we don't for some reason. I don't understand. Um, I mean, that's like the only one I use, but okay. Because we're not good at dealing with suffering then, and since we don't have a good theology of suffering, we can't approach that topic. Right, and so... For people who are like, yeah, it's whatever. And like, I have that, uh, I, I, I'm at a place where it's like, death is death. And I accept that it's part of our fallen condition. But that's a, at a different place than not caring about death because they don't have a hope. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are at a place where they don't care about death because they don't have hope. But, but as Christians, we do have hope. And we want, we want to do everything we can to give people that hope before they die. And that's why we... Don't go out and spread viruses. I said everything seems strong. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Barely Saved Podcast. Make sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes, links, and show notes at barelysavedpodcast.com. You know, I haven't reading a lot of non reading a lot of fiction because our world was is a cluster it was like i need i need i need a fictional reality like enema to like cleanse what's going on in the rest of the world <laughs>